This reading is taken from Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, and Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 to 7. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and will call him Emmanuel. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in the distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. The second reading is John 1, verses 1 to 18. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God, whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, though the world was made through him. The world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him. He cried out, saying, This is the one I spoke about when I said, He who comes after me, has surpassed me because he was before me. Out of his fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace already given. 
For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in the closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. And now uh, I would invite Nathaniel to come and speak to us. Isn't it good to have Nathaniel with us? Yeah. Well, something that hasn't happened to me for a while, uh, I had an Apple and Microsoft not talking to each other thing today. Uh, wave if you're an Apple person. It's a few people, not many actually. If you're everyone else, Microsoft, Android, yeah. Anyway, I had a glorious PowerPoint to go with this talk, but we, you won't be blessed with it this morning. Father, as we think about these words and Christmas, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would be amongst us this morning in the name of Jesus. Amen. So as Jane just read, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing has been made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of humankind. In him was life. We don't really know very much actually about what makes things alive. You know, we can copy life, and if we have the right ingredients, we can make life in a laboratory. But the idea of a kind of Frankenstein, you know, putting a load of stuff together and zapping it with electricity and it coming to life, we actually can't do that. Uh, the difference between life and death, it kind of still remains shrouded in mystery. The animating force behind nature, you know, uh, and the respiration of a human cell has not entirely been demystified by science. And actually, scientists will be the first to be filled with wonder and intrigue as to quite how this works. In him was life. This word life, it suggests a kind of life force, a supernatural energy behind creation. In the Hindu tradition, it's kind of like a Brahma. Thank you, Zeke. He says, here you go. There you go. Thank you. You can take your cookie, eat it elsewhere. <laughs> it's like a kind of Brahma, something that energizes and characterizes all of creation, you know, from rocks, streams, and rivers to a cluster of cells that in nine months will be born a baby. And then there's the word. We heard in that passage, logic, reason, order, the singularity, the beginning of it all, the constant behind Newton's laws and Einstein's bending of those laws. Two Greek words, logos, the word, and zoe, the life. Zoe, the life. Who's watched Professor Brian Cox on TV? Yeah, some hands waving. Uh, I think it's amazing. He's a, if you don't know, he's, um, he's a former kind of indie rock star type guy who turned um, uh, professor of astrophysics or something like that, I think. So uh, I asked um, someone at Fountains of the church that I'm part of to superimpose a picture of Brian Cox onto my face. And so that would be on the PowerPoint. <laughs> it is quite humorous. <laughs> I could show you later, actually. Um, 
And uh, I, 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 I like to think I'm good at impressions, but I, I'm actually not. Um, and I tried my impression of Brian Cox at the Wednesday Club after Domino's. And it, it, was, it was quite sad, actually, having a room full of about 20 people just looking at me, not knowing <laughs> what to say or think. They looked sorry for me, actually. That's what they looked. But I'll try. This is my impression of Brian Cox. I, I try and not... It's more Man Manchester, isn't it? It's Manchester. It's not Bradford. Anyway, let me try. And so, that first Christmas, the architect of time and space enters a world held together by the life force emanating from his very self. Here, in flesh, the constant that holds gravity in its tension, the singularity, that sets the stars into motion. The one who formed order out of the chaotic sludge of prehistory. The one who holds both entropy and evolution in delicate harmony. The logic and the reason. The light and life becomes incarnate, born in Bethlehem. Pretty good, right? <laughs> um, it's not good. <laughs> it's not good. Uh, Brian Cox is an agnostic, but um, if one day he becomes a preacher, then I imagine he might preach a Christmas sermon, something like that. And that's what John, the gospel writer, is saying in shorthand. The word, the life, the logos, the Zoe, is born in Bethlehem. And Christians throughout the centuries have told, of, this is the story they've told about what Christmas means. And so, uh, moving on to the second point, thinking about the return of the king, the return of the king. He was in the world, but though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. And yet, to all those who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave them the right to be called children of God. The creator becomes a creature. Shakespeare enters the play. There's a story in the Old Testament where the people of Israel are asking for a king so that they can be like all the other nations. It's kind of like a, a child desiring a toy just because other kids are playing with it, not because it's good. Um, and Samuel the prophet says to the people of Israel, God is your king. But eventually, the people get their own way, and they install a king over them. However, if you, if you read the Old Testament, there are prophetic cries and the, the light that flickers through prophecy that there might be a king that would come, a good king, a just king, a king that would make right the injustices of the world. And now the moment had come. But in our passage, it says that people didn't recognize him. It's as if people are wearing spiritual sunglasses, not being able to see the Zoe and the Logos, the life and the word. Anyone like Bruce Springsteen? I love the boss. I love Bruce Springsteen. He has that, that song, Blinded by the Light. And that's as if what's happening here. People have been blinded by the light, that some things are so beautiful that we can't fully comprehend them. 
Hands up if you are a fan of Lord of the Rings. A fan of Lord of the Rings. I am I'm, I'm a big fan, geeky fan. Um, there's a lot of people whose hands weren't up there. And, and any hands up? This is, you know, confession time. Have you neither read the books or seen the films? Anyone who has, hasn't seen Lord of the Rings films? There's a few hands coming up. Okay, well, Christmas homework is set. You know, we've got... <laughs> it has to happen. I, 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 people who haven't read the books or seen the films, I just don't know how you, like, get through life. All of my life, pretty much. Harry, well, yeah, all of my life is lived through the metaphorical lens of Lord of the Rings, Harry Potter, uh, and what else? And maybe Fight Club, if you've seen that film. <laughs> That's pretty much, I view all of life through that lens. Hey, Christmas holiday set. Um, in the final installment of The Return of the King, it follows the story of Aragorn, whose family bloodline makes him heir to the throne of the kingdom of Gondor, which is now under siege from dark enemy forces, um, Sauron and the powers of Mordor. For generations, there has been no king in Gondor, but it's been ruled by stewards. And the idea that one day the king would return has kind of been darkened into myth and legend. It's the kind of story that people tell to their kids as they go to bed. And yet there are some that still believe the stories are true, that one day the king would return and that he would put things right, that he would be good and that he would be just. Denethor, who is the steward of Gondor, he hears about this ranger, this wanderer, this Aragorn. He has heard about him long before they actually meet. He has explored his lineage and he knows that he is the rightful heir of the kingdom of Gondor. He knows that this is the true king, perhaps arriving at an opportune moment to turn back the forces of darkness. But Denethor the steward refuses to receive the king. He's like some people in our Bible passage. He recognizes him, but he will not receive him. Denethor actually prefers death than allowing Aragorn in his sight to be king. He's become so drunk on his own power that he won't see goodness and justice in front of him. He's been blinded by the light. If the Christmas story is true, then there is a higher authority than me, myself, and I. There is a just and good king who owes my allegiance. And even more than that, he owes my obedience. And that's a very grating message of the Christian story in the 21st century, in, a, in an era of iPhones and the myth that I control my own destiny. It's a grating thing. The Bible uses the word sin, you know, such a small word with so many thoughts that it conjures to describe the refusal to receive the king. You know, sin is used here as another word for rebellion. Thinking your way is better than his way. And sometimes adults, you know, as adults, we can become really sophisticated um, and do mental gymnastics that, to imagine that if the story of Christmas is true, 
that it might mean that I need to pledge my allegiance to this good and just king. I'm trying to avoid thinking that, really. But I can see it within my own kids, Ivy and Zeke. That would be a gorgeous picture of Ivy and Zeke on the screen at the moment. They're very sweet. We, me and Ivy were sat on the sofa yesterday looking at Zeke on the other sofa. And Ivy said to me, look at him, thinking up a naughty plan. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly what he was doing. <laughs> you can see the, the cogs whirring. And, um, yeah, well, uh, they, they look very sweet, but have you ever seen the look in the eye of a toddler having a temper tantrum? The, all because, you know, you've stopped them eating all of the chocolate in the world. <laughs> or running with sharp objects. And they're so angry. And that look where you think, if this child had access to weapons, I mean like knives or guns or nuclear warheads, then who knows what they might do to me in this moment. That look of such anger, them desiring to be in control and wishing completely that I, I wasn't. Well, the good thing is, is that I'm bigger than they are. <laughs> no, the other good thing is, is that the temper tantrums pass. Um, but it gives us a flicker into the human condition that as human beings, we actually desire to be king. There's an old word, regicide. It means to kill the king. And that there is part of us, an ugly side within humanity, that if we had our own way, that's what we would want to do. We would want to throw off any control and authority over us and to kill the king. And that's what happens within this story of Christmas. There's the shadow of Easter that ultimately, rather than receiving him, they would kill him. The story of the rebellion and rejection of Jesus that we will tell at Easter is like an adult temper tantrum grasping for control and power. And yet, to those who received him, who believed in his name, he gave them the right to become children of God. And so finishing with an invitation. And so the word became flesh and made his dwelling amongst us. And we have seen his glory, the glory as of the one and only, full of grace and truth. The story of Christmas it invites an encounter with Jesus. That if the story is true, and if there is a good and just king, the reason, the logic, the author, the life, there's a question, will you recognize him? And then the second one, will you then receive him? When the nation of Israel asked for a king, the prophet Samuel warned them that an, uh, what, what an earthly king would be like. He would tax them. He would cause their sons to go off and fight in faraway lands. And even those who start off good would be warped by their power and turn tyrants. But here is God, the long-lost heir, full of grace and truth. Here he is to take the throne, but not as a king who puts unbearable burdens on his people, but whose yoke is easy and whose burden 
is light, whose way is good and just, instead of enlisting his subjects to fight on his behalf to defend his honor, he fights to defend theirs. He comes that light and life might win over darkness and death. Christmas soon is Easter, and this king fights alone in defense of those who receive him, who have believed in his name. He doesn't stay behind in the trenches as kind of some military strategist safe in a bunker while other people risk their lives. He goes over the top alone. The word, the life, the light dies on a cross to turn back the tide of death and darkness. And so his name, his name is Jesus, which means rescuer, means saviour. So an invitation to each of us, whether you are one who has received him, who's believed in his name, or whether for you it's like the spiritual sunglasses are starting to become reaction lenses and things are beginning to come into focus. What if, what if it's true? For you, if you believe for a long time, it's easy to actually live through life without thinking about the consequences of this story being true. What if it's true? You know, if it's true, then life is set alive with a kind of magic to it. If it's true, it means that everything is baptized, shot through with meaning and purpose. If it's true, then I am God's child adopted, defended, and loved by the king of the universe. No one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only, who is in the very likeness of the Father, has made him known. Amen.